Good morning, RP. Good to see you guys. Um, If you would, you can turn now to Exodus chapter 15. We'll be there in a few minutes. Exodus 15. On Monday, February 14th, 2022, so about a year ago, the, the Los Angeles Rams... We're celebrating their Super Bowl victory at the happiest place on earth, Disneyland. Two days later, they they took their party to the streets of Los Angeles, where their victory lap took form in a mile-long parade. They had a lot to be excited about. They just won America's version of the World Cup. I'm sure they played that that song by Queen. We are the champions. No time for losers. I mean, there's nothing like a good song after a big victory. Like when the home crowd sings, na, 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 hey, 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 goodbye to the opposing team as time is expiring. These songs attempt to capture a moment, to to maximize an emotion. Well, historically, teams that have won the Super Bowl usually come back the following year and at least compete. Many times they'll have a target on their backs, but usually they'll at least make the Super Bowl. Not the Rams after their Super Bowl victory. They became the laughingstock of the NFL this season. The reigning champs ended the season with only five victories in a 17-game season. People are now calling for their head coach to retire. Dude's 36 years old. They were the reigning champs and yet all year long could not live out their new identity as champions. Well, something very similar is going to happen in our passage this morning. Israel just experienced the great redemption from slavery. They witnessed the plagues from God being poured out on their oppressors, Egypt, and they escaped Pharaoh And his chariots, as God himself parted the Red Sea. And they, on dry ground, high-kneed their way into the end zone. Could you imagine what these Israelites experienced? What they saw with their own eyes. And with such a victory, how will they now live In this new relationship with God, with a new identity, no longer slaves, but rather a people redeemed. Ryan said a couple weeks ago, Israel was redeemed so that they can now belong. Well, what will it look like for them to belong to this all powerful God? God loves his people too much to leave them where they are at. And so even though, like us, they have been saved by grace alone, their life with God has only just begun. On their way to Mount Sinai, where they are headed, God will attempt to train them 
to trust him. My question to you before we jump into our text this morning is this. Where are you at in your pilgrimage, your journey with God? And can you define your relationship with God as one of trust? Like, do you trust God? Like, you know he's for you. Like, he has your best interest in mind. Like, he will provide for you everything you need. Or do you find yourself doubting God's goodness? He's got bigger fish to fry. So you're trusting your own provisions, your own plans. You make sure you check off the Christian to-do list, but ultimately, this is a dog-eat-dog world, and you got to take care of you, because nobody else is going to. Wherever you find yourself in this journey this morning, is God far off, or is he your near and gracious heavenly father who who knows your every need who loves you who wants the best for you and is ever present with you mark's passage last week showed us that that we can trust god in the big moments of life Our passage we're about to dive into this morning, I believe, is going to show us that we ought to trust God in every moment of life, that he cares for even our daily needs. So if you're not already there, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus 15. We started this book in the fall. We're going to end it hopefully right before Easter. So, obviously, we're going to be moving pretty quick here. Through these two and a half chapters this morning, God will take his newly redeemed people on a five-stop journey. So, we have a lot of ancient Near East land to cover, so let's jump in. The first stop, the Red Sea. The, the, the Rams Super Bowl parade with all their celebrations and expensive cigars and champagne popping, championship songs and dances have nothing on Israel's dance party after they cross the Red Sea. You're laughing, but seriously, there, there ain't no party like a Red Sea party because a Red Sea party don't stop. <laughs> seriously, look with me at verse one. Verse 1, I'm going to read this whole celebration, but as I read, I need you to think. Think about a million Jews at this celebration who just saw God's hand move. They were slaves, now they're free. They were caught between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea, and now they're the only ones standing. Put yourself there and imagine this epic scene. Then Moses... And the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. 
The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. We are the champions. The deep waters have covered them. No time for losers. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed. In the heart of the sea, the enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be sized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Until your people pass by. Lord, until the people you brought pass by, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters off of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Wow. What a party, right? What a celebration. And after it seems like they're dark, difficult, depressed, days are now behind them. Once they finally catch their breath, they find themselves in a new reality. Straight out of Egypt, but what's next? That takes us to stop number two, the desert of Shur. Look with me at verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Merah. So the people grumbled. You're going to hear that word a lot this morning. The people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink. Now, before we too quickly rip on Israel, let's note that they are in the desert for three days without water. 
They're at the brink of death. Though God knew this. It's sometimes said that most Western societies are three days of empty shelves from civil disorder. Now in 2023, we know this all too well. You guys remember when COVID hit? Seeing those empty shelves at King Supers going into panic mode as where we were going to find our next piece of toilet paper? I I totally threw our budget out the window and put way too much money on our credit card at Costco thinking the world was going to end. Dave Ramsey would have shook his head at me. (laughs) The Oshmans bought a hundred pounds of rice. One hundred (laughs) pounds. So before we shake our heads at Israel for grumbling, let's understand this dire situation. Three days without water in the desert, so they grumble. In verse 25, Moses cries out to God, and God, knowing exactly where they are and what he's going to do to continue to make himself known as if the plagues and the Red Sea weren't enough, tells Moses to grab that stick or that tree and throw it into the water, the bitter water. Voila, you thought Fiji water was fresh. God's like, you're welcome, Israel. Remember who you're rocking with. I have your back and I'm for you. But then in the middle of verse 25, we get God's first if clause to Israel. Let's read it. Verse 25. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if, if you listen carefully to the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord who heals you. God is testing or training Israel to get them ready for Mount Sinai, where they are headed to be his covenanted people. After salvation, what's next for Israel and for us? What does the passage say? Listen to the Lord. Do what is right in his eyes. Pay attention to his commands and keep his decrees. It's clear as day. God is after our allegiance. He doesn't save them from Egypt and that's it. And he doesn't save us from hell and that's it. No, like Mike Bulmore says, the God who saves is the God who stays. God wants to do life with his people, but life on his terms. Allegiance, trust, this is what he's after. Do we trust that God will take care of our daily needs? After he promises Israel that if they obey him, the plagues that he struck with Egypt won't come their way, he gives them a little retreat. 
which takes us to stop number three, Elam. Look at verse 27. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees and they camped there near the water. It's like they're in California. This probably felt like a vacation that ended too soon. It took their eyes back to Eden, the the paradise of God, and brought them into an anticipation as to what was coming, the, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. For some, maybe it felt like a, a happy ending to an amazing story. But the moment lasts just one verse. Next stop, stop four, the desert of sin. And it, 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 this name actually has nothing to do with sin at all. It's, it's a reference to Sinai, where they are headed. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. And just so we know how, how fresh the, the exodus is in their memory, it's been six weeks. This group of about a million people saw the hand of God move. They witnessed miracle after miracle after miracle resulting in their own salvation. This would be like us experiencing what they experienced on December 4th. Like fresh, fresh in your minds. So that's why what happens next is quite shocking. Look at verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Really? That's how you remember Egypt. Filet mignons and all-you-can-eat buffets. Talk about revising history. In verse 7 and 8, Moses tells Israel that you guys aren't grumbling against us. You're grumbling against the Lord. Do you really want to take up that fight? You know what he's capable of. But how does the Lord himself respond? Look at verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Are you kidding me? Talk about a compassionate and gracious God. A God who's slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. God's newly redeemed people are already complaining. And God responds by giving them what they want. You want food? I'm going to give you bread from heaven. Later in chapter 16, he says, you want meat? You can have as much quail as you need. If you read the whole section, in the morning when they wake up, thin flakes of bread on the ground. At dinner time, organic quail, ready to eat. And this was before DoorDash. God is like, I am your 
provider, Israel. I will take care of you. I have your back. Will you trust me? But this again, all of chapter 16 actually is another test. Look at the middle of verse 4. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. God is training a people who will give their allegiance to him. A people that will trust him even with their daily needs. In verse 23, we see the first appearance of Sabbath since the Garden of Eden. God wants them to rest one day a week, trusting that he is good, that he knows their needs, and that he ultimately is their provider. Talk about Sabbath being made for man and not man for Sabbath. Rest and worship. God is saying, are you guys really wanting to go back to Egypt? They didn't even know what a day off was. After salvation, what's next? God. God himself is next. The God who saves is the God who stays. But unfortunately, Israel fails again. Look at verse 20. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. But Moses isn't the only one angry. Look at verse 27. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it. Already breaking the Sabbath. But they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Remember what God said in chapter 15? If you listen, if you do, if you pay attention, if you keep. It's like, stay hot, Israel. Looking like the Rams this season. Even though Israel is now God's faith family, their faith flinch is pathetic. As God continues to test them, will they be like their grandfather Adam, doubting the goodness of God, or will they be like their grandfather Abraham, who when he was tested gave up the son of promise because he knew that God would provide? And what about you? Where are you on your journey with God? Do you know That he loves you. Like do you really know that? That God will provide for you. That God sees you. That God is with you. That you can rest at night. Knowing that God will meet all of your needs. Do you believe this? Let's finish our passage this morning. Our road trip at Stop number five, Rephidim. Look with me in chapter seven now, verse one. Chapter seven, verse one. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim. 
Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there. They grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? God brings Israel into a waterless place. And another failed test. You'd hope to see at some point a little faith flinch by Israel. Instead, nothing. I should note, God himself brought them to this waterless place. Trusting that God is our provider does not mean he provides us with the American dream. It means he provides us with, with himself and gives us what we ultimately need. Tim Keller says, if we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives. In verse 4, Moses can't take it anymore. And so like a good head coach, he throws his hands up. What am I to do with these people, he says. But then God answers with one of the craziest scenes in the Old Testament. The entire Old Testament. Look at verse 5. The Lord answered Moses, go in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. The ESV gives a better translation there. I will stand there before you on the rock. Israel has just put God on trial through their consistent grumbling. And so now the scene is set for this epic courtroom showdown. God versus Israel. Israel's on one side. God on the rock is on the other. Moses with his staff in his hand. And we're reminded in verse 5, the staff that brought judgment on Egypt So Moses, with his staff, gets to play role of judge. But what happens next is unbelievable, scandalous, really. Middle of verse 6, God's still speaking. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. I couldn't say it better than this commentator, so I'm just going to quote it. But Dr. Tim Chester says... We know that Israel is guilty and deserves to be condemned. We know that God is innocent and deserves to be vindicated. But God tells Moses, strike the rock, the rock where God is standing. It is the most dramatic and surprising moment. Moses brings down the rod of judgment on God. God takes the judgment that his people deserve and as a result, blessing flows to the people as water comes out from the rock to quench the people's thirst. What 
What a gracious God. A God who takes the judgment of their people's sin and in return gives them life. The Apostle Paul understood what was happening in Exodus 17 as the gospel. He says this in 1 Corinthians 10.4. He says, For the Israelites drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. What happened here in Rephidim was a picture, a foretaste of the cross. Again, Chester says, at the cross, the great court case between God and humanity came to its climax. On one side was guilty humanity, deserving condemnation. On the other side was the perfect, sinless Son of God, Christ the rock. And God the Father said, strike the rock. The rod of his judgment fell on Jesus. Amen, indeed. If we continue in our passage, it says, So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Israel drank water on this day and their thirst was quenched. Well, at least until tomorrow. But Christ, our rock, who gets struck on our behalf and then sends us living water, the Holy Spirit, and unlike Israel, who will continue to be covenant breakers, as we will see, that the newness of the new covenant is that all who are in it have this water, that they have the Holy Spirit. They are covenant keepers. Our passage ends at verse 7, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And that's the question I want to pose to you guys. Is the Lord among you or not? Will you continue on your journey trusting in the God who provides by giving your allegiance and living in gratitude? Or will you doubt his goodness, complain at his plans, and in doing so, harden your hearts? Let me close with a, 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 a faith flinch that I got to see in action this week. I was texting a friend of mine on Wednesday who was heading into a big surgery on Friday. Um, he, he, he was diagnosed the end of last year with an artery disease um, called SAM. That's the acronym. I don't know how to pronounce any of the, any of the words there. So it's called Sam. But, but the last time I saw him, it was at a pastor's conference last spring. And we stayed in, in the same hotel. And out of the four days we were there, two of them, or he, he ran two 15-mile runs. So this is why his text shocked me as he was explaining what was going to happen in, in the operating room on Friday. He, he texted this, My surgeon told me yesterday that she has to cut me open, 
put my intestines on the table, move my liver and other major organs with retractors, cut through muscle to my arterial system near my backbone and expose the arteries. She will cut away ligaments that are pressing against it and possibly section it if needed. Then they will put me back together again. I will be in ICU for the day. We'll come back home after my time in the hospital. I may be there for up to five days. Not fun. My response, oh my gosh, Doug, I will be praying. So intense, man. How are you feeling emotionally going into Friday? My friend replied, it is always an ominous reminder of how frail and transient I am in this world. We never know what is coming to us or for us. Certainly I did not. Yet the one constant is God, as revealed by word and spirit. I'm finding myself reading all about the procedure and the aftermath. It has clarified for me what I want to do and forced me to trust the Lord, not men. Ultimately, my life, like your life, is in the hands of God. I could not believe in God if it were not for the Bible and the truth therein. I've put all my hope on the words in that book. I visited the cemetery last week. My parents and brother are buried. I have many friends who have already died. Most are forgotten. Yet the Lord's promise is to not lose anyone who comes to him. Going into the operating room is always frightening, but I must just wait and breathe and trust myself into his hands. I have no other hope. Oh, let us be a church that flinches in faith. We have a God who is worthy of our trust. Let's trust him, church. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Oh, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, God, and your mercy. Thank you that you have redeemed a people for yourself. God, help us to walk in faith. Help us to trust you. So many things that we can be anxious about. So many things that we can worry about. So many things that we can try to play God ourselves. Whether it's with our kids finances, our jobs, our health. God, help us to trust you. Help us to seek first your kingdom. God, strengthen our faith, Lord, so that we would be a people who give allegiance to our King. Amen.